What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Heller. Today, we got David Jones, otherwise known as DJ, on the line. DJ has got some great experience and some great uh, knowledge surrounding building into building into a bigger buck, something that, that DJ did, did last year. Uh, had a great 14-pointer knockdown on the ground. He is uh, soon to be on a podcast with, with a couple other people that he has promised the story to, so we won't dive directly into that at all. But there's a lot of precursor to that buck that we're going to talk about. We're also going to roll into uh, a mule deer hunt out west that he had that played off of a lot of uh, tactics and um, lessons that he learned previously that allowed him to get a really nice mule deer on the ground. So that's what we're talking about today. Essentially, the, 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 the theme of this podcast is building into a better buck, and it all starts with summer scouting and things you guys can do over the next three to four months um, to make sure that you're very well prepared for season. With that, uh, before we get to bringing DJ on, the first thing I wanted to, I just got to run through two quick blurbs um, for sure. You got to check out Onyx Maps if you haven't looked into them. They're a phenomenal company. They do great work. They have uh, online mapping, satellite, hybrid, waypoints, tracking. I use them for running all the time. It's just a great app overall um, for, for life and for exercise and for hunting. Uh, public and private land boundaries is really the main reason I use it. So you know when you're trespassing or when you should, shouldn't be trespassing or if you are trespassing. You know, maps, I remember a few years ago, I went to Illinois and I got a map um of the the public ground there before i had onyx and i was really really confused i literally bought it because all of a sudden i was out walking around no fence lines or anything and i just ended up like at somebody's tree stand and i was like okay is this on public or private and then i i didn't know so i just backed off and walked away and left that spot alone and then that night went to the hotel bought onyx realized that that was just an illegal tree stand and I should have hunted that area. So that's just like why I purchased Onyx in the first place. But otherwise, you know, understanding public private land boundaries, super helpful. And then the other company I want to, I want to give a shout out to is Vector Custom Arrows. These guys uh, are building arrows specific to your bow, your draw weight, the animals that you're hunting and the weight of an arrow and the FOC that you want. So you're not just going to the store, picking up a box of six arrows and then leaving. You're actually giving them all the specs for what you want in an arrow. They build it, they ship it to you and I'll, and you have an arrow ready to go right out the gate. Don't need to fletch, don't need to buy tips or anything like that. It's just all right there. So actually, I th I'm sorry, I think you do need to buy tips. I can't remember if they ship with tips or not, but either way, I know they have them. I just don't know if they sell them. Anyway. Arrows, the knocks, fletching, wraps, um, any sort of FOC insert or outsert that you need. And they do have the Snyder core system, which goes with an iron wheel broadhead. Phenomenal system that pretty much allows you to shoot through anything. And they have, uh, they have videos of that shooting through steel out at TAC this year. Um, they were bombing some arrows right through the iron. There's like an iron rhino out there or something like that. So anyway, those are the two companies looking at Onyx, Vector, Vector Custom Arrows. If you're in the market for either of those items, please check them out. Really appreciate it. And with that, welcome to the podcast, DJ. That intro was much longer than I thought it was going to be. 
Uh, no, it's all good, man. You gotta gotta take care of business. I know what it's like, you know, um, having to make sure that you know the people that follow you and those that have invested in you as a company, you know, you're making sure that their products and everything else are, are very well made known. And, uh, yes, appreciate it, and, and I, I guarantee you those companies appreciate you doing that too. So, yeah, you know that's and that's a funny like you know that's one of those dynamics in life that. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know, are you on, are you on the track? Like if you could, would you like create content and hunt for a living? Like if someone was like, Hey DJ, I'll give you 50 grand a year to hunt and create content. Would you do that? Um, I mean, I think like, I, I just, I have too much love for law enforcement and doing stuff like that. Okay. So my dream was never really to get out and hunt for a living and get paid it was always like you know working in law enforcement while you know if i can get money here and there from hunting and fishing and creating content with you know first and foremost the brands that i like brands that i love and brands that doesn't matter if i'm partnered with them or sponsored by them just overall good companies then i would take that route mm. but uh which this is what i'm currently doing so you know uh to do it full time, you know, I kind of, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know if I could imagine myself just getting paid to hunt and fish full time. I think it, it'd be something that, you know, it could potentially be offered in the next couple of years, but I think I just got too much love for law enforcement and helping people and doing that type of stuff. So what would be, I, I, see, I see where you're coming from, but what would be the dollar value that would make you switch. Cause if someone said, Hey, I'll give you 2 million bucks a year to hunt and fish. Your, your probably love for law enforcement is going to dwindle pretty quick. Right. Well, I mean, financially, <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be the better decision to make, but you know, um, you can still have all that money and not be happy because you're not doing something, you know, that you love. And in this industry is what some people like to call it, but I like to call it one of my passions, you know, um, you can let that dollar sign turn something that you're passionate about into something that you hate because you're not doing it because you love it anymore. And it's mm -hmm. turned into a job. And I've seen that happen within uh, this industry, quote unquote, yeah. for some of you folks who can't see me, I just did the quotation with my fingers. So I've, I've always tried to make, make sure that, you know, like if I'm going to do content for hunting and fishing, it's not because of the dollar signs because I'm passionate about it. So, sure. So, okay. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is, is as long as you're passionate about it, whereas you are with law enforcement, you would, you would switch. Cause for, for me personally, like if somebody came along and said, if it were brands that I liked and brands that just said, Hey, Anthony, we like what you're doing. Keep on doing it. Don't no no restrictions, no nothing. Just, just keep doing your thing. And, and four brands each said, we're going to give you 20 grand a year. So 80 grand total. Just go do your thing. I I would I I would have a very hard time like not considering that to yep. a full extent, right? So like yep. so that and 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 the other idea on the flip side, like if if somebody I didn't like was like, hey Anthony, I really like what you're doing. We'll give you eighty grand a year to 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 post about our content and what we're doing. I'd be like ah probably not yeah yeah it's like it, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that's when you feel like you're selling your soul right yep there's a bunch of people within this hunting industry that they've done that and they do that and you can 
some of those folks you can see it from like a mile away and then some people some of those folks are better at hiding that than others yeah yeah i i remember one of the earliest times like i ever i got on with there's an archery shop i live outside of madison wisconsin and there's an archery shop starting off it's since folded but he was uh super into bow fishing and at the time i had a bow fishing guide service and he he invited me to a, a few trade shows and he paid me for the day to sit on a bow fishing rack for his uh booth and sell you know bow fishing gear and i was like yeah. yeah that sounds awesome so you get an exhibitor pass you roll through and all that fun stuff and i remember like you know, in these trade shows before, like any of the doors open, say they open at 9am or whatever, everyone's in there between seven and seven and eight. And everybody kind of walks around all the exhibitors kind of talk shit to each other and whatnot. And I yeah. remember one of the guys looking at me, I talked to him, he was in the hunting like industry, he did hunt like for a living. I remember talking to him and he was like, you don't want to do this, man. This is so annoying. All you have to do is lug around these cameras. And you're never working for yourself. You're always working for somebody else. You're always beholden to these other companies. Like, don't do this. Go work in construction. Go go be a, a dentist or something. He was like, you don't want this. And I remember like walking away from that conversation, like, man, that like, that must suck to have that uh, perception of what it's like to be in the outdoor industry. Like something multiple bad things must have happened to that guy to make yeah. him feel that way. Right. Yes. And I, and I remember like, I remember it clear as day and I was just like, man, that sucks. I hope, I hope to, I still hope to be in the hunting industry, but yeah. I don't hope to have that perception of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you just got to stay true to yourself and uh, know what you're worth. And uh, when it comes to working with some of these companies and, getting exactly what you're worth and doing what you want and how you want to do it and staying true to yourself. You know, um, what I feel like one of the mistakes I made earlier when my platform started growing was I would get these messages on Instagram or email from people who wanted me to showcase this product for 20% off or join this club. So that way I can be an exclusive member or if I'm part of this pro staff, they're going to give me 20% off. And that 20% off really isn't even 20% off because when you look at the shipping of our products, that 20% has already been applied to shipping. So it's really not even a discount at all. And my following is bigger than your following right now currently. So it's like, you want, like you're trying to pay me with a somewhat of a discount and I'm posting your content for five posts a month is what you want me to do. And my following is bigger than yours so like how is that supposed to be healthy for me and for me like how are you going to help me grow and then it's like when I started realizing that and getting mentored by a couple of people who've been inside of this outdoor industry for a long time and they started like showing me the ropes on how to network and how to understand that this is a business and it's it's very easy to fall into that trap and you can get excited because, oh, you know, someone wants me to be a bar or a pro staff because you've never had that experience before. Yeah. And once it starts happening and happening, you want to agree to being on everybody's pro staffs and everybody's contracts and stuff like that. And they're emailing you stuff, sending you T-shirts or hats or this or that. And it's like, wow, this is really nice. This is really nice. But then again, 
you're not thinking about the business aspect of it where it's like, you know, now you literally have to go out and get content for this person because you're on a contract for however many, mm-hmm. like, you know, static images a month, however many videos a month, how many YouTube videos a month, however many trade shows a month that like, you know, they may go on the road and do that. They may require you to travel and you can't take time off your full-time job to go out and sit in a booth for them for, you know, 20, 21, 22 plus hours before a weekend somewhere in Utah, Montana or something like that, wherever it's at. So it's easy to yeah. do and I get it. I can understand it. No, yeah, that makes, that definitely makes sense. Um, so I, I can, yeah, with, and with that, the, the big idea here is, is tying it back to um, how you, your love for law enforcement and everything is, you don't want to be ever be in a position if you're ever trying to get into the outdoor industry where you need to be beholden to these people for an income. Right. Cause that's how that that's how they'll, that's how you're going to sell your soul. If you have the financials and the time to not need that 20% discount or that thousand dollars, they offer you or $5,000 or whatever it is, you can go, ah, you know what? Like, thank you. I really appreciate it but I don't like your product and I don't want to do this contract with you. Yep. No, thanks. You know, that gives you the leverage to, to spin it back to them. If you're fine financially and on your own, which is awesome. Right. That, yep. and that's where you want to be. And I, and I, and I, I appreciate that. And like you said, you can sniff that out of people real fast. Can. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So that was a nice little tangent there. So <laughs> rolling into uh Let's roll into the, um, the mule deer, uh, the mule deer story. So you, uh, last year you went out West, um, Colorado won a hunt. So I want you to talk about that, how you won that hunt, went out there and, and knocked off your, um, knocked out, knocked down a great mule deer. So, you know, I was always one of those people like, you know, you see all of these hunt giveaways and stuff like that. And you just always tell yourself, I'm not even going to enter because it's not even worth it. I, I'm never going to win anything. Why enter? And yeah, I happened to have seen, you know, Brandon Adams make that post with like his, his My World Outdoor stuff with him and uh, JC, also known as John Christopher. And they're doing their whole thing with My World Outdoors. They're killing it. They just got done wrapping up season three. And I believe they're on their way with uh, season four right now with a couple other things they got planned that I, I probably can't open my big mouth about. <laughs> and I, I got knowledge That's of right. our, our, our group chat, but so, you know, I'm at work and my phone's buzzing and I'm in the middle of a court hearing and it's just buzzing, 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 buzzing. And, you know, court got adjourned and I get out and I check my phone. And it's just a message from, uh, from Brandon, like uh, telling me I got selected, you know, because I wanted my world outdoors, you know, free mule deer hunt giveaway. I'm like looking at it. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, no, nah, this, this isn't real. I'm looking at his IG because he had the blue check mark next to his name. And I'm like, wait a second, that's actually him. Like, that's, that's him. Cause we've had conversations and stuff like that before, like, you know, years prior, back when he was on a major league bow hunter and stuff like that. And I've always followed him, watched his stuff on YouTube, even when he ventured out. And he departed from my world, not when he departed from Major League Bowhunter and started off in my world. But we did all that. We got everything set up. He gave me the spill. I got some gear from Cobra Archery. 
I got some gear from um, that supplement company, Twisted Oats, which, you know, we got a, a not like a, a no feeding band currently in my zone in northern Minnesota. So I wasn't able to really to put that out. So I still literally have all that stuff sitting in storage. So in case I get a lease somewhere else or out of state, I can probably use it. So I got gear from them. I got a bunch of, you know, shirts and clothes from the My World Outdoors company that they got and they run. I got a brand new bowl from a local bowl shop that Brandon and them had connected with either in Kansas or, or Oklahoma. And I got free site, free stabilizers from HHA. I had like a, a Hoyt Axis was, was the bowl that I had got. I'm trying to figure out if I haven't missed anything because I got HHA, single pan Tetra, dual stabilizers from HHA. I had the uh, Cobra Wilderness release is what I had. I had twisted oaks and minerals and stuff like that. And I want to say, I want to say that's it, but I may have been wrong, but that's all that started. And I got notified of all of this stuff in about May and uh, May in Northern Minnesota is not the greatest time of year. It's literally snowing one day, sleeping one day, hailing one day and raining one day. And eventually you'll look up and it's June and you know the snow is finally starting to melt and temperatures are starting to pick up a little bit, but it sucks. And then uh, that's how all of that started was that spring entering in to the My Road Outdoors free mule deer hunt giveaway on Instagram, getting that call and text from BA and, and just lining everything up and then the work began. Nice. That's pretty awesome. So what is, is it, it's my world outdoors. I have no idea what it is. It does Brandon just like set up giveaway hunts and you just throw in and register or what? So basically what, what Brandon was able to do, um, he, he had connected with a guy named Kyle Lopez and had been going out there for years. They're, they're great friends and I've seen them interact personally together. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but that, Velvet Mule Deer Hunt is going to drop on the Sportsman Channel at 8.30 Central Standard Time, 7.30 Eastern Time on July 11th of 2022. So I'm excited for that to happen because yeah. the entire season three of My World Outdoors is going to be airing on the Sportsman Channel. So it's like it's literally it was a hunt of a lifetime. And Brandon made that big move in the offseason to get back on a major network, you know, with his company, him and JC and, you know, uh, hats off to those guys and hats off to everything they're doing with my world outdoors. And what really sparked my interest in that was seeing that, you know, with them being where their company was at at that time, they could do a giveaway and get all these products and all these other things that kind of made me think about some of these bigger companies who have way more revenue and, and have those types of connections with outfitters and camps and stuff like that. They aren't really doing it how Brandon and them did it. Like, you know, that whole experience, you know, was life-changing for me and I'll never forget it. And um, got a nice giant velvet mule deer. I'm waiting to get back on that pedestal mount that I'm going to be able to relive those memories every yeah. single day and live long after me and making my debut on uh, national television for the Sportsman's Channel. You know, just being a guy like me, you know, Growing up in a small town, Callahan. That's awesome, dude. That's so cool. Just dream come true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's that is so cool. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. Um, okay, so there, so there, 
they're just putting together connections and hunts and things like that to get to build a uh, essentially build a show with everyday people but i'm sure they go on a few hunts themselves is that kind of yeah. like the premise yeah no yeah i mean like they, those guys were hunting fools like jc was just an animal from turkey season to the end of the hunt season guy mm-hmm. just came out you know throwing came out throwing haymakers brandon same exact way same drive same work ethic and watching him invest so much into this company and he's producing and he's setting up hunts and he's filming and doing all these incredible things and you're watching him like you know be an entrepreneur and it was like our personalities like click from the jump because we were alike in a lot of ways except i think if you were to ask him he'll probably tell you i talk a lot more than him (laughs) but he agrees that i'm a lot better at it sometimes (laughs) but um that whole thing, you know, it was just, it was just a great experience. I was, I was happy and I was fortunate enough to, to be the winner of that. And they were able to do it again for a rut hunt. And I want to say it was in either Kansas or Oklahoma. And that guy who was a part of that hunt was able to get tagged out within his first day on his first hunt too. So like, it was great. It was a great experience. And they're just, they're doing great things in my world outdoors. That's cool. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So you won the hunt now now what so you won the hunt you got the products and now you're rolling into the hunt and it looks i mean it was a, a velvet muley so you're probably hunting late august early september early september yeah okay gotcha so what's the when did you get that phone call when you were in court and then and let's just be sure you were not like you were not in the handcuffs in the court you were you know. no, 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 no. I'm always on I'm always on the other side you know uh, I've been, been blessed and been fortunate enough to never have to really deal with anything on a criminal aspect of it right or, or any of that stuff but yeah no I, I work in law enforcement so I was, I was in court for for something like that so okay so you so you get the call when was that and then when do you roll into the, the hunt so I got the call around May sometime and for most of the people that follow me, it's like, you know, sometimes I like, I like to think that I love the off season more than the season. Cause I love that. The unknown, I got to start from scratch. I got to get my bow. If I got a newer bow or some new equipment, got to get everything dialed in, get everything sighted in how I want to, and just get real comfortable with it. Shooting at crazy distances if I have to, or, or if necessary. And, doing all that stuff to get prepared, you know, with my equipment, doing everything I can with the gym to be in the best physical shape that I can be in. And then mentally learning as much as I can learn, like throughout the off season by listening to podcasts and speaking with other hunters that, that, that mentor me and gathering all that information. So for me, I kind of got locked in for the minute I had that phone call. Like it's a once in a lifetime opportunity I know the hunt is going to be filmed. They are sending me a bow and it created my first dilemma because I had ordered brand new Venom 33 um, custom from the bow rack. So I'm waiting for that to come in. But I'm also waiting for this Axis to come in. So now I got two different setups. I got a 60 to 70 pound Axis, you know, with, similar setup, you know, HHA, you know, um, 
I'm partnered with Vapor Trail, so I, you know, have my custom Vapor Trail VTX strings and everything like that. My drop away arrow rest for them, which is what I love. Got both of those set up on both bows. And I literally was like basically having almost a shoot off for the first month of the summer to figure out if it comes down to the wire and I'm in camp, one of these bows has to be a bow that I'm going to bring in the field. And one of these bows has to be a backup bow. So I'm literally shooting my Venom 33 like a madman, shooting it at Axios like a madman. And when it came down to it, I had to select, you know, my Venom 33. Like, you know, it was greatest bow I've ever had, ever owned from Hoyt. First bow I've ever had, it was over 30 inches axle to axle. It's not my first 80-pound bow, but I just loved how dead in the hand my Venom 33 felt. I loved how accurate I was. I loved how stable I was with it. I loved it how when I was shooting longer distances, I felt like I could hold out better because it was more weight for me to grip. And that translated into me not having as much vibration as if when years passed, when I shot like my RX-3 and then I shot things like the Axis and my Hoyt Ignite, those bowls were super light. So I felt like my hand would kind of torque, you know, left or right a couple of times just because it wasn't, it didn't have that weight. But mm -hmm. I just like, I was always one of those guys who's like, I'll never shoot a bow over 29 inches axle to axle. I'll never do it. I'll never do it. I'll never do it. Then I ended up getting a freaking 33 and ended up having that being the best bow I've ever had. Like, <laughs> like still to this day, it's like, I've been missing out on some of these great bowls like this, you know, for years just because I was stuck on not having a bow a certain inch at a axle to axle requirement and yeah then i dive in i got my custom arrows uh my eastern fmj pros from the bow rack i got them wrapped with my orange fletches and stuff like that and um mm -hmm. aluminox with the orange tips and stuff like that as well so those were my arrows i was shooting those brand new uh muzzy four blades with the 100 grain mm -hmm. heads so it was shooting close to 307 or 308 feet per second when I want to say my arrow was close to 450 or 460 grains, I want to say, total. Okay. So it's not super light, but, you know, not super heavy. So it's like that right, that happy medium right yeah. in between. So then I was just literally just shooting like a madman. Like, I'm going back and I'm watching all of these videos from – uh. Brandon's hunts from years prior with uh with Major League Bow Hunter. I'm watching all those velvet videos and stuff like that. Just getting pumped up, just looking at the terrain, looking at all the mule deers, look at the quality of mule deer that Kyle Lopez has at his place with KB Outdoors, and just mentally just getting myself pumped up. Yeah. I'm on YouTube every single night, looking at these mule deer videos and stuff like that, trying to figure out you know as much as I can about like you know mule deer hunting because it was something like as someone who was unprepared to go hunt one, I didn't really research and I didn't really care to do any research as far as like, you know, prior to winning the hunt, it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, well, hopefully one day I can do it. And then that one day happens. It's like, crap. Yeah. Like I got less than 120 freaking days and I'm going to be, you know, in the mountains of freaking Colorado over 9,000 feet in elevation. I don't know what it's going to take for me physically and mentally and emotionally to shoot a mule deer. I've, I've never yeah. had that. It's like the whitetail woods, I can pull back years of experience from doing that, you know, because it's something I've always done. But mm -hmm. 
looking at these mule deer and seeing like, you know, breaking it down like the average shot distance, you know, on a mule deer, is, it's this, right? But Kyle's place, as I'm looking at it on Onyx, like this is all field. And then they added in like the whole 3D, you know, feature so I can see like the ridges and stuff like that, the drops and the creeks and stuff like that. And that's why I love the Onyx on the application because I'm an ambassador for them as well, you know, just like yourself. I'm doing everything I can on Onyx Hunt to kind of look at the terrain and get that kind of feel as well and that kind of vibe. And before I knew it, like, I got the wheels rolling in the Chevrolet the right way down the highway to Colorado. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, like, that really went by that quick. Like, you know, I challenged myself at Bullfest, which is, uh, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's that 3D target shoot that I do every year where they have, they've had guys like the Bone Collector crew show up there. They've had the Drury Outdoors crew yeah, show yeah. up there, and they've had Tim Wells show up, you know, a couple of different of these outdoor, you know, personalities and stuff like that. And it's literally the only place where I could get that kind of out west vibe because mm -hmm. you can go up or down a ridge and you got like a sneak shot in between trees over brush here and there. And you're breathing heavy because you just made like, you know, uh, whatever foot incline going up the hill. Mm -hmm. But when you check your, your Apple watch or your phone, you've walked 4.5 miles so far today. And right. you've had this backpack on your back, which, you know, I love my backpack from Horn Hunter. I can fit everything but my kid in there. And if I wanted to fit my kid in there, I probably could. I, I got enough traps. <laughs> Literally, I got enough traps. I could probably fit my two-year-old on there. Maybe not my son. Maybe not my six-year-old. But my two-year-old, I could definitely fit in my Horn Hunter pack. But having the weight of that on my back and then you know i got my quiver on me i got a couple gatorades i got two first aid kits you know i got all like the gizmos and gadgets and that's giving me that that physical sort of simulation that i was expecting to get out west so like in that aspect of it like i was treating it as if mentally i was out west yeah you know i'm telling myself okay well i'm out with ba we just put a spot and stock on an animal and there he is. I got a right. 70 yard shot. But physically, it's like I just went over a decline, got down the next shot. I'm shooting from the pro stake because when you're at Bowfest, they have these different types of stakes. They got, you know, traditional bow slash beginner, then they got the intermediate, and then they got the pro stakes. So I'm sitting at the pro stake and I got a bedded elk at about 80 yards. And I got maybe a three foot window where if I'm going to put it inside that 10 or 12 ring, that's all I got. Mm -hmm. Because if I put it too far to the left, there's a tree. To the right, there's a tree. But I got to make sure I calculate for that angle drop compensation too, or incline, which is why I love using my Bushnell Prime range finder the 1300 because it does have that bow hunter mode, which has, and it calculates that, uh, that drop compensation from a tree stand and on the ground, which I love it. So I'm mentally giving myself all these mental reps for literally hundreds of shots throughout the entirety of the summer just to get myself in physical shape to do that and to get myself in that mental preparation of you're going out west. You've never done it before. You may only get one opportunity. So you have to make it count. Like there is no ifs, there is no ands, there is no buts. Like you can't make excuses about your equipment. You can't make excuses about your physical shape your mental shape, like everything you have to literally train, like, you know, your life depends on it because 
the worst thing you want to do is get out there, embarrass yourself on national TV, you know, wound a bunch of deer at a place where it's like they literally, you can count on one hand the amount of deer they take off of that place as far as mule deer goes. Because it's basically untouched other than, you know, Brandon and whoever he brings out. And you just, you just don't want to go out there and not make the most of that opportunity. So I was mentally yeah. prepared to go out there. And if I never got one, I'd be happy with that experience. But it's like, I know that that's not going to be the case because they have great caliber mule deer out there. So I just have to, you know, not guide the guides here, show up, shoot straight. Right. And that was, that was literally what I put myself through those 120 plus days that I had to prepare. Yeah. And I would, I, I would, I would, I will tell a quick cautionary story on that. I, um, a, well, first of all, I was in, well, I was at Bowfest in 2020 when COVID hit. I think you, you were there too. Cause you'd been there yep. the last four years. Yeah. So we yep. must've crossed paths at some point, but I remember sitting down at the bar and I look over and I just sat down at the bar at the top of the hill. So, so Bowfest yeah. is on a ski hill. Um, it's yep. four courses, awesome courses. I think I know like what elk you're talking about. Cause that was a pain in the ass and those trees were yep. full of arrows. Um, and so, uh, I remember sitting at the bar up at the top of the hill, trying to get some chicken tenders for lunch. And I looked to my right and, uh, and this guy just says, how's it going today? And I'm like, oh, it's going pretty good. What's up, Tim Wells? How are you doing? Yep. Man? I was like, what in the yep. world? I was like, how, how are you doing, dude? I didn't know what to say. I was just like, are you shooting? Like, what are you doing? You know? And I just had like a 10 minute conversation with the guy waiting for my chicken tenders. Tried not to be weird, but um, besides that, the, the cautionary tale is a friend of mine did all that same stuff. He booked a guided hunt and all that, you know, work hard, go to the shoots, do all your stuff. And he gets a shot at a really nice muley. Um, he claims it was like 180, 190 inches. I bet it was like 140 or 150, um, but, but, and we'll never know because he dialed his sight. It was a 75 yard shot. He dialed his sight, pulled his bow back, let it rip. And his broadhead clipped the bottom of his sight window. He's like, dude, the whole summer I practiced with my field tips. And then I put on the, uh, broadhead, like fake one or whatever you call it, the practice yes. broadhead tip. And he goes, it doesn't have the same exact blades as the real broadhead and so when i flipped them the new broadhead does not have the same clearance so like i didn't know that and he's got a huge scratch at the bottom underneath his sight and everything he's like my arrow just hit and dived under he's like it's day six of a day seven hunt and i missed him at 70 yards he was just standing there feeding and that yeah. was that you know so for, for anybody listening like yes go do all that stuff but shoot your damn broadheads at all the ranges that you're comfortable shooting like the yep. real thing spend even if you shoot expandables spend the ten dollars to put that expandable through a target and destroy that expandable to make sure that it clears your sight window at 70 80 90 yards or wherever your max range is yep. right anyway so did all the work worked out made sure you could walk the miles i'm sure you ran over the summer got in shape you shot all the time you get out to the so then then you're on the road in the chevy going out west right so 
for me, I was up close to about maybe 24 hours because I remember I worked the shift um, prior to leaving. So I got home, filled up the truck, you know, saw the lady, gave the hugs and kisses before, you know, I made my trip out west. Yeah, yeah. And the first person I seen was JC. You know, uh, I don't think I've ever showed up to meet some guy I've never met at like four in the morning at a hotel in a state I've never been in before. So that that was my first experience with JC. <laughs> so I literally pull up. And Sounds like the Sergio Netflix special. Right. You know, <laughs> um, so I do all that. And then Brandon gets in the camp, meet him. Um, I meet Tyler. Uh, who was one of the camera guys that was there. And I meet Axel from Rack Daddies. Um, meet all those guys. We all get together. But uh, funny story with, with the buck that I actually killed. So the first morning I got into town, he was one of the first bucks that we had seen while scouting. He was one of the first okay. bucks up in, uh, up in the, one of the fields. And we go into hunt, hunt number one, morning number one. We see nothing but just couple of does we didn't see any of the bucks that we came in there after and we kind of knew that they would come in there later but the wind wasn't right so go back home we have lunch we get in there for evening number one hunt and we get set up in the kill spot which is like this kind of this this it's a makeshift ground blind area which is almost like the edge of this little creek that runs through and I don't even know the name of the brush, but it's just like brush that was like maybe five to six foot tall. And Brandon cut it so that way we can see where some of these deer are coming up and to our right at about 13, 14 yards. And then they'll feed in front of us and then they'll jump the, uh, jump the fence and go off and just continue grazing. But um, that first evening, I just remember sitting there I got all my Under Armour hunt, you know, hunt gear on. I got my GoPro and all that stuff there. Brandon's got cameras in three different directions. I got Axel with one camera, Tyler with one camera, Brandon with one camera, plus two GoPros running. And I'm going to say something right now. And I'm going to bring it back, right? Me and Brandon had a shoot-off that day in between, you know, our break between the two hunts. Me and Brandon had a shoot off at 57 yards for a block target. I hit the dead center and he was just a little bit off, right? So just keep that in mind when I, when I say what I'm getting ready to say. So we're hunting, got a little doe out in the field. She's feeding and she's bedded. And next thing Brandon goes, he's like, all right, here come the bucks. I'm like, what? And I look up and then first group of bucks, and the only group of bucks we saw that night was coming out. And Brandon told me it's like they're gonna look a lot bigger than what they actually are because they're mule deer, they're big. And I'm thinking, oh, no, it'll be fine. So literally, like maybe this two-year-old or three-year-old mule deer is coming. And Brandon's like, you can shoot whatever you want, dude. Like, shoot whatever you want. And he's maybe, <laughs> he's probably maybe like this 100 and, 150, 160 inch mule deer, but I had never seen him before i never seen him like that up close and personal so i thought like this guy i thought this book was huge so he's coming in on a string maybe close to 80 90 yards just working he breaks away from the group all right fine perfect and i wished i would have trusted my setup a little bit more and i didn't so he's walking and he gets all the way up to the kill spot and he's like less than 30 yards 
he just stops, has his peg. I can't draw back. I can't do anything. And Brandon's right over my shoulder. And he's like, just, he's like, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And like, I wasn't even attempting to draw back, but I guess he was like coaching me into not taking that shot at that time. And I didn't, but I wish I kind of would have because with the energy that I have at that close of a distance shooting over 306, 307 feet per second, shooting over, you know, 440 grains, I I blew through that shoulder, killed him easily because I know what I did to that 14 point at, you know, whatever the yardage that was. And I blew through both of his shoulders. So, but that, that moment hadn't happened yet. So I didn't fully trust that I could do that later in the year. Once I realized like, Oh yeah, I can do that. But in that moment hadn't happened because obviously it was September. I shot that buck in October. So I don't take the shot. And due to all the research I had done on mule deer and, and watching all that stuff, I realized that if you spook a mule deer, it's going to run maybe another 30, 40 yards, and they always stop and turn back and look. Yeah. So he spooked, wind switched on us, spooked. He runs out, he stops. He's courting away from us just a tad bit. I grab that bush nail, I raise him 57 yards, raise him again. 57 yards and I'm sitting on my butt which is a very stable position but I'm kind of on this downhill kind of slope mm-hmm. I turn that HHA dial 57 yards I draw back I shoot and I just watch the flight of my arrow and that knock and everything it's just in flight I hit him thought I smoked him right and he takes off. He's bleeding. We're waiting for him to go down, but he just he's, doesn't go down. We're continuing to watch him. Still doesn't go down. And Brandon's like, I think you might have hit him a little bit too high. I'm like, oh, man, it was money. And I'm celebrating like he's going to die. Like, just give him a second. It was just a high lung hit. So just give him a second, right? So he ducked when I shot. And I hit him in no man's land, but because the shot was high, that knock point was giving me the illusion that I hit him right where I wanted to hit him in the pocket behind that shoulder in his vitals. Cause like the arrow broadhead is up here because I hit him high, but that knock point is at this angle. Folks that are probably listening mm-hmm. to this, like you can't see the visual reference, but uh, Anthony can see the actual reference, but it looked like I smoked him. So that's why I thought I did. And we get up, we give them till dark, we get out there, we search for them, we fan out all over the property, we look over neighbor's property, we're looking at the fields, there's no sign of them, there's no blood, there's no nothing. So Brandon reviews the footage and he showed me how uh, messed up my arrow flight was. And to this day, I'll still never know what I did or, or what happened with that specific shot in order for my arrow to come out how it came out because it literally comes out and goes completely sideways and then it straightened up towards the end but i don't know it was it was just like it was a bad place shot Mm. and you know kyle had this rule of this first blood so whatever you draw first blood on like if you don't kill it like you're done period yeah so 
as I'm like, I'm literally sitting here next to Brandon while he's talking to Kyle. And uh, I was getting a little bit emotional because it was like, you know, I hadn't shot an animal with my bow since 2016, as far as a deer is concerned. Yeah. So my first shot at a big game animal that, that was a deer and I didn't make it count. All the, all the work, all those reps, that might've been my only opportunity. Didn't make it count. So Brandon was like, he was like asking Brandon, so it was like what the shot looked like. He's like, his arrow came out a little bit janky. I mean, he hit him, but he hit him high. He ducked. I don't know. Like, like I don't know. Like, it, I don't know. And then he just asked Brandon, he's like, Brandon, so do you think if we were to let him have another opportunity to deer, like, like he's going to be able to shoot and get one? He's like, yeah. He outshot me today at 57 yards. So I, I know the kid can shoot. Like, I know the guy can shoot. So he's like, all right, well, I'm going to trust you and trust in him. And I got that opportunity back. But here was the kicker. Since I'd already had my first opportunity in Mule Deer, we agreed JC was up at bat. And I, you know, I'm not going to yeah. be disrespectful to JC. Like, oh, I won this hunt. Like, it's, it's, it's my opportunity. I'm here. Like, it's yeah. for me. This is my hunt. This is like, no, I had my opportunity. I didn't make it count, you know. Hats off to you. Like, you know, if I get an opportunity after you, great. And if I don't, then I know I had mine and that's what my experience is going to be. I'm not going to be one of those, you know, negative Nancy's about it. Right. So, yeah. So we go home. Um, I don't even think I ate that night. I just went straight to bed, you know, like a, like at a little the ceiling for yeah. five hours. <laughs> yeah. And. Brandon's like, you're just going to, Brandon, so the next day, Brandon comes in and was like, well, you're just going to come, you know, elk hunt with me in the morning. I'm glad I did. We saw this big 300 plus inch bull. Freaking crazy, right? So we get done doing that. And I just asked this question, which I don't know why, but I did. I said, hey, Brandon, can we just go by the property and see where some of the mule deer at? It's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, we can do that, DJ. Sure. We're driving past. We look down the highway or whatever. And I'm like, shooter, right there. And I'm like literally using some of the street lingo. And I'm telling Brandon, let's spin the block. Spin the block one more time. Let's spin the block. He's like, what? Yeah. I'm like, there's a shooter right here. So then we get Tyler hanging out the window with his camera, like trying to get him on video, trying to disable <laughs> and everything like that. And we're literally going 55, 60 miles an hour down the freaking freeway, which was crazy. And we spot him, but there was another buck that we did not see at that time too. It was giant, but we'll get back to that later. So we go back to the house and we tell JC and Axel because they didn't get up and go mule deer hunting that, that morning. They didn't go. Yeah. So we get to the house. We tell JC, we give him the skinny. And he's like, well, yeah, I don't care. Go kill him. Go get him. And then Axel's like, I want to come and film like it sounds like it's gonna be freaking epic right so yeah we get to the gravel spot which is where we do a lot of the plotting and a lot of the scouting for the off season we get there break out onyx hunt we're using that application we're trying to figure out where we can get at to get into a great spot and that's what i loved about the terrain and i hated it at the same time brush was high there was tumbleweeds there was like these big cottonwood trees that were like as wide as respucia <laughs> like if you if you guys have uh, ever seen norbert like literally almost as wide as respucia 
as far as the eye can see sometimes. And he's <laughs> bedded at that point. But the crazy part is he's a 170 plus inch mule deer and he's bedded behind a falling down cottonwood. And all you can just see is just like his antlers over the tops of the trees and a couple of, and, and a couple of these other deer that were with him. So we make a plan. We get JC and Axel and their truck. They get set up. Brandon uh, gets us parked over. Tyler has an over-the-shoulder shot. Brandon has a camera. We get to the fence. We get over our fence. And this was when the complete chaos started happening. So from where we crossed the fence to where we got to, that we marked on our spot in Onyx Maps, it was over 220-plus yards. And I'm in shape. Been working out consistently for the past almost two years now. And I got my Hoyt Benham 33 on my back. I don't have my uh, backpack on me. I just brought my quiver and my bow. And we literally football crawled or army crawled over 200 plus yards. And I'm happy I had Brandon there with me because he had the experience that I wouldn't have had, which was once we got under 100 yards, he's like, DJ, we're only going to crawl whenever their cars are going by the highway. So you hear a car? We're going to go, 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 go. No car, stop. So we're doing that, not leapfrogging because he's he's in front of me, but like in that type of aspect of it. Like yeah. he's going, we're going. He's going, we're going. He's going, we're going. We get up to the base of this big cottonwood tree and we both get behind the tree because it's literally big enough. Like I don't know if you've seen any videos of me showing that shot and stuff like yeah. that. But Cottonwoods we, out there are like, you know, eight feet wide, it seems like. Yeah, huge. <laughs> So we get behind this big cottonwood tree and Brandon's like, he's looking at you. Well, let, let, let me back it up a little bit. So we get, we get to the tree. I tell Brandon, if he comes out to the right, I can take a shot anytime. He comes out to the left, I can take a shot anytime. But just let me know when you're on him or if you're not on him. It's all right, I got you. And he's like, oh, look at you calling the shots here. Huh? Is it your first time? <laughs> blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and he's like, oh, DJ, DJ, he's looking at us. And then literally he is looking like straight at us. Like he's looking straight at us, but he can't see us because the brush is so tall. It's covering his eyesight. So all we see are just the antlers looking directly in our, like in our direction, but he can't see us because of the brush antler behind us, the cottonwood tree. Yeah, yeah. So he starts walking away and walking out and Brandon goes, stand up and draw. So I stand up and draw and get from behind the tree. He's walking straight, straight away from me. When I was ranging that tree to where he was originally standing at, it was 44 yards. So he's now walked away from us. I let back down. And I'm happy Brandon's experience kicked in yet again to make this hunt happen. And as he's walking away, Brandon goes like that. And you'll like, in, even in the videos, like you see the buck, like stop, ears rotate. And then he makes that slight left turn and head back and he sees me. And then he turns completely broadside. So I guessed this animal to be at 53 yards. He was actually at 60. So when I shot, or I drew back and then I shot. The way the brush was, I could not see all of his vitals. The only shot opportunity that I had was if I placed it center mass 
by his liver. That was my only lethal shot that I could take. Some people might not have tried to take it. Some people would have probably just, you know, guessed, but I, I know the liver is something that can be a lethal shot. He may not die instantly, but it can be a lethal shot, and it is a lethal shot. And a lot of people, you know, have bucks sitting on the wall right now because of it. And I'm going to yeah. be one of those oh, guys yeah. that's now in the club because of mm-hmm. that. That's so like the, that's like usually the organ that people like hope they got when they shoot too far back, right? They're like, fuck, I might, that might have been guts. I hope I got liver, right? Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's what people always say. Fuck, maybe I got yeah. liver. So I shoot. And in real time, like this animal ducks, I could not see where my arrow hit. So I instantly, I say I missed. And Brandon's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I was like, I think I shot right underneath him. Because when he ducked, that brush that was covering up his vitals covered up his entire back. And he ducked well over a foot. Like, you know, I feel like that's something that a lot of people when I was watching those videos, they never talked about was shooting a long distance shot at a big game animal like that, especially a mule deer, and how far they can they can freaking duck. Yeah. Oh so yeah. and he ducked almost two feet easy. And it ended up being perfect because if he didn't, I probably would have just skimmed a couple of hairs off the bottom of his belly. But he ducked so much to the point where my arrow hit him dead center in the liver. And nice. takes off runs onto the neighbor's property, beds up, we get eyes on him again, we watch until he kicks over. We had issues recovering the animal due to that landowner, but we ended up getting our hands on him. And that was it. I was on cloud nine after after we got our hands on him, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, dude. What a what a what a wild hunt. <laughs> uh but I'm, I'm glad, like, you, you, one of the things people don't understand is out West, you have to have landowner permission to go, right? You can't, did you, right? Is that what you experienced? And you were in Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure in Colorado, you have to have landowner permission to go. You can't, so in Wisconsin, you can, if you don't have landowner permission, you can call the wardens and they'll come yeah. out and give you permission. But out west, I don't think it works like that. Yeah, Minnesota, I believe you can do it. Don't quote me on that. I believe you can do it, but you have to leave your weapons, you know, on your property. Sure. So, but yeah, that makes typically sense. for me, typically for me, it's like whenever I'm hunting in an area, if I got permission on one piece of property, I'm going to all the neighbors on the surrounding properties, like telling them, like, hey, so and so gave me permission to hunt this property. Can I have your phone number in case I shoot something and runs on your property, so that way I can call you and get your permission before I step foot on your property. I understand legally I don't need your permission to go track them. I just have to leave my weapon behind, but I'm gonna I'm more respectful than that because I know you've worked hard for your property and I'm not gonna be one of those types of guys. I don't want any issues, right. I don't want any problems. So yeah, but no, that makes sense. But so then yeah, I mean you're watching bet up, uh you watch them die. That's that's freaking awesome. I mean, that's and it's obviously a godsend that you uh that you misjudge the yardage. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um Hundred Yeah, get them, bring them back, take some photos, and and grab that meat and everything. I mean, if you look on Instagram, like I'm looking at it right now, that's what I've been doing while you've been chatting. I've been looking them up. I mean, it is a it is a giant mule deer, 
And, um, and I'm sure that no man's land shot that you had previously, um, you know, they, a lot of times they survive that. I know that I have personally shot, uh, I shot a buck in no man's land a few years, a few years ago. Um, and I got pictures of him a month later chasing does. Um, and he seemed pretty good and people find, you know, those cuts on, on tenderloins all the time like that. Yeah. (laughs) And the thing is with him was he showed back up in the field three days later. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. that's awesome okay so yeah I'm sure. yep i'm sure he lived and, and moved on um obviously he did so i mean good 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 deal there wild hunt um crawl i mean crawling that far is a, I, this year i crawled about 70 yards for a turkey yeah um, i saw that yeah yeah i can't imagine crawling 200 because that sucked the 70 that i did <laughs> but mm-hmm. Uh, and that was also with a shotgun, much easier to, to, to get to with a shotgun. Cause you can just like kind of throw that out in front of you and then go grab yeah. it and throw it out versus a bow. You kind of got to be wary of your strings and your rest and all your other everything, stuff. everything, yeah. you know, um, Brandon, you know, it told me about, cause he had an issue with this release once because he had gotten dirt in it. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't put my release in this dirt. Like I trust the equipment, but I know if I literally get a, like a rock or a pebble or something in it, I can't draw back or it won't release or there'll be something right. funny with my mechanics. And the distance was one thing, but like I'm, we're literally crawling over ant piles, rocks, broken glass from the freaking highway car accidents and stuff like that, tumbleweeds, and we're literally just meat forearms like just going one after the other one after the other (laughs) one after the other one after the other brandon just has a camera i got like my bow on my neck and i got my quiver in my hand and then my quiver every time i go out because the brush was so high it's literally catching and creating friction on the grass so it's like bow was fine arrows you just do like just like grass like hitting but that was that was crazy and then like you know uh, i was extremely blessed to get another opportunity i was extremely blessed to be able to to harvest it and make the most out of my redemption shot but a few days later i thought about it i didn't make the shot count at 57 yards when everything was correct hha site was correct range in the correct correct way shot all that right and after crawling over 220 plus yards, shoulders and everything are dead. Not really out of breath, but it's like I can feel it. I don't even have the accurate. I didn't even range the animal. I had to try to natural. I am after the point of him leaving that 44 yard mark. And I ranged where he was standing at when we shot him. That was at 60 yards. And then I checked my bow and I had my sight at 53 yards. So I was able to get within seven yards of what he actually was, which I kind of credit that to all the shooting, doing things like bow fest and just naturally eyeing and stuff like that. And, and it worked out, it paid off. Like I got lucky, but like I'm lucky I was close enough because I could have been a yard, you know, under two yards under, three yards under, and then it goes from liver hit to nothing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. Or I mean, even, even the other way is if, if he went to duct, and you just like, like you said, skimmed his belly, and then 
who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows what would happen there? But I mean, everything, obviously it all, it all worked out. Um, and, and you put a lot of effort in to get there and a lot of work and a lot of prep, which is kind of the main, the main idea I wanted to highlight here is just the amount of the amount of prep that you put in. Um, and I, I think, you know, this podcast is going to air after the archery shoot. So I am deer vein is actually hosting an archery shoot, um, on Saturday, June 11th, which will be a couple of days yeah. before this. And, um, and that's one of the things that, that we, we picked June 11th this year because it's early enough that there's not a boatload of vegetation on the property. You yeah. can actually see a little bit more, you get a little further distances, maybe next year we'll push it a little bit later. Um, so that people can, can utilize it to prep a little bit more for these out West hunts. Um, but the, the main idea is, you know, setting up the shoot so that you do have these really steep downward shots. You have some yeah, upward yeah. shots. You have some just flat out long distance shots. We have a couple shots where your footing is terrible. You're side hilling it and you got to shoot from a side hill. Like yeah. These are all uh, circumstances that you run into out west and even in even in everyday life in, in the yeah. whitetail woods like you're not yeah. always standing on a tree stand platform on a nice level level playing field, yeah. right sometimes you're walking through the woods to your tree stand and all of a sudden a buck pops up you're like oh crap yeah gotta figure this out so the the idea is to re try to help people recreate these scenarios so that they can you know experience it prior to the hunt and you can shoot some yeah. foam before you shoot the real thing but obviously you can't predict you know, uh, uh, animal drop. You can't predict arrows coming out of your bow wonky. You can't predict, you know, uh, a, a twig sticking off the end of your broadhead that you didn't see before you shot. Right. Like you can't, you can't predict all these things or the circumstances yeah. of, I don't, I, 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 I should, I probably should this podcaster's recording before they shoot, but I should make people crawl 50 yards before they shoot. <laughs> right i'm not gonna make them crawl 200 but uh yeah. but yeah make them crawl a little bit make them work a little bit before they shoot so that and then give them a timer you know there's a yep. there's a another there's another archery shoot called um the beast mode archery challenge and they do that a little bit in terms of like when you go through their course each of their targets have a thing you have to do before you shoot the animal whether it's 15 jumping jacks or you got to hold your bow for 45 seconds before you shoot or you yep. gotta you know you have eight seconds to shoot you got to start here and you got to run over here you got to draw and you got to shoot and you only got eight seconds to do it or something yep. like that like creating these scenarios because you don't find these in your backyard when you're shooting at your target that you shot at all summer at 22 yards like yeah you know yeah that's great you can hit a bullseye at 22 yards um, with flat ground, flat target, nice, easy scenario, but it's all the elements and the, and the scenarios that drive the problems that people face in the field. So trying to recreate yeah. those over the summer, some way, shape or form. And I, I never shot before Bowfest. I never shot archery 3d shoots. And yeah. now I try to, I make it a point to do two a summer. Like I yeah. always do two a summer and I should do more. I'd love to do more. Cause they, they'll, it only makes you better. It the biggest thing is it forces you to pick up your bow yeah. uh, over the summer. Cause otherwise a lot of people will sit there and let their bow sit and they'll go nothing against fishing, love fishing, but you go fishing, you go camping, you go hiking, you got kind of do whatever over the summer. And then 
you know, your season opens in late September and you're looking at your bow in late August, like, Ooh, I better throw a couple arrows through that thing, you know? Yep. <laughs> and these hey, shoots force me. people to do it. If anybody knows, I know, because it's like, you know, last year was my first year ice fishing. So whenever I could fish, I made sure I went out. I called my kayak Yakata. Me and Yakata was in the back of that Chevrolet truck. We were picking out whatever lake I want to get out to to go bass fishing and get some fishing content and stuff like that. But I'd always make sure after I hit the gym, go shoot. After I hit the gym, go shoot. And, you know, you touched on a really key point that I feel like a lot of, you know, archery folks will for, like, forget we can be, you know, better than Levi Morgan in our backyard. But when it matters, when we're out in the field, for these scenarios where, you know what, you've been, you know, lights out at 30 yards in the backyard on the Glendale. So now you actually got one of those great white tails at 36 yards, 37 yards. And he's not, you know, sitting broadside, he's cording away from you. He's cording to you. Who knows? Like if you, and if you don't take those shots and you don't have those opportunities and you're not like doing those things, how you be prepared for it? You get some folks like, you know, they're cold as ice. Like they will get out there and shoot and shoot and shoot and they'll make the most out of all their shooting opportunities. You get some folks that won't necessarily shoot and they'll get opportunities and then they'll blame their equipment. And then they'll be like, oh, well, Ah, if I would have shot this broadhead off, oh, if I would have used this sight, if I would have done this, it was like, no, if you got up off your ass, instead of sitting inside, you know, drinking 12 packs and, you know, having cheeseburgers and went out and shot when it was hot, shot when it was cold. Because I'm one of those guys that was like, I don't care what the shooting conditions are. I'm going to get outside and shoot because when you're hunting, and in my opinion, because you're like, I work full time. So sometimes, you know, I work 40, 60 plus hours a week and I can't be like because oh it's raining can't shoot my bow tonight oh it's 20 plus mile an hour winds can't shoot my bow tonight oh you know had a rough day at work you know i don't feel like shooting my bow tonight because those types of things i feel like you know when it comes down to it if that moment happens and you don't make it count you're gonna wish you could have went back and got that opportunity back where you had time to prepare and you didn't and i've been athlete my entire life you know i played division two football i played junior college football i played junior college baseball played football basketball baseball you know growing up in high school middle school and elementary school and it was the one thing i i i'm glad my coaches always instilled in me is that when you have an opportunity to practice you can practice it's like you know you can cheat yourself in the weight room and you're cheating yourself on the court you're cheating yourself up when you're out in the field and you're up the bat the plate you're on the football field cheating yourself in the classroom you're cheating yourself it's like you know when you get time to prepare and you don't use it if you're not successful that's on you not saying that you can prepare and still not be successful because it happens like it happened to me for the first time i was prepared yeah. i was successful i shot my ball all the time i did everything i was supposed to do but i didn't make the shot count but then when i got my redemption shot i made that count but it's like you're not always promised those opportunities. You may only ever get one. You may only get that opportunity once in a season. And I'd be sick if the only opportunity I had is a whitetail and I blew it because of something as simple as shooting, something as simple as my equipment that I have control over. I didn't take, you know, proper time to make sure everything was correct. So I agree. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a great, that's a great point. It's just kind of be, um, be, be, be intentional and make sure that you get out and, and, and throw some arrows over the summer because the, the regret, it sucks to learn from failure. And this is one of those things that really sucks to learn from failure. I, I, I think failure is the best teacher out there and I fail every single day at a lot of different things. But the one thing I don't ever want to fail at and, and never want to fail at again, I'm sure I will, but I never, ever want to fail at missing or, or worse wounding an animal that I'm trying to kill, right? Like those are, those are things and that, that regret and that emotional like burden that you will then carry from that failure will haunt you for months to years after, mm-hmm. right? And so, so putting in the time and effort, so you do not experience that regret and you don't say, man, I should have practiced more. I should have practiced more. You know, I have a buddy who's still thinking that from a buck he shot in, in early September of 2020, 2020, he shot it. And he was like, he was one of the best bucks of his entire life. He went out on a piece of public ground, just sat in a random spot that he found one of the nicest bucks he ever seen, ever walked under him, He shot it at 12 yards. And he, and he shot it, uh, uh, in the guts and he never found it. And he's just like, like that, like he's, and he just, how do I miss a giant at 12 yards and hit it in the guts? Like, I don't even understand how that happens. He's like, he's like, I, uh, the only thing I can think of is I just didn't practice enough. I really didn't practice enough. And I didn't expect a 12 yard shot. I expected third, maybe I, I practiced too much at 30 or so, whatever it was. Um, he just, he, he blames himself for the problem. Cause that's the other thing about Bohan. It's never anyone else's fault. You can't blame yeah. anyone else, but yourself, which is the mm-hmm. ultimate, like, you know, Unless you got a cameraman, then you can blame the cameraman. <laughs> yeah. Camera people do mess up stuff sometimes. So you can't blame some people. No disrespect yeah. to the camera folks out there, but y'all yeah, mess it up yeah. for us. No, that is, uh, that is, yeah. And that's one of the, one of the sayings that was floating around like, uh, Instagram for a while. I haven't seen it in a bit, but it's like, don't be upset with the results you didn't get with the work you didn't put in, Yep. you know, like you can't, you can't be upset about that. Um, put in, put in the work. And like, I, if there's one piece of advice I'd give anybody listening to this podcast is, is do an archery shoot over the summer, make the time. Like people always say, oh, I don't have time to go that I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't have the time. I have too much going on. I'm sorry. Rearrange some priorities, pick two days out of 300, even no, I'm sorry. Pick, pick four, four to six hours, one day of 365, pick four to six hours that you're going to go shoot 3d over the summer. That is yep. not, that is not unreasonable. Everybody yep. has four to six hours in their life. Yep. Right. So go, go do that this summer, go do that. And, and, and you will be happy you did because leading up to that, you're not going to want to embarrass yourself. So you're mm-hmm. going to get out and shoot at night. You're going to get out and shoot in the morning. I know currently, like, I don't want to embarrass myself on the 3d shoot we have coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm hosting it. So I get up at four 30 in the morning and I shoot from five to five 30. And then my, and then I, then my wife goes on a walk with her friend and all this, and they go for a walk. So I have to hang out, hang with the kids. I get breakfast ready, all that stuff. So I shoot from five yeah. to five 30 and then I'll shoot again 
from seven to seven 30 in the evening, make sure I get two rounds in just 30 minutes each. That's not a huge issue, but it has done wonders from day one. When I started doing this like three weeks ago to now, very, very comfortable at 50 yards, dropping bombs, hitting 10 rings, trying to smoke 12 rings at 50 yards. And, and on day one, I was really just hoping to hit the target. Yep. (laughs) Right. Yep. It happens that way because, like, I'm the type of person, like, if I fail at anything that I know I could succeed at or be successful at, it sits on me very heavily. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to forget the feeling that I felt when I wounded that buck in early September. And I made sure that no matter what, for the rest of this hunting season, and hopefully for many more, when I draw back and shoot, that animal is as good as dead. If I can draw back and shoot at it and hit him. Yeah. And smoked all three of the animals that I shot back when I got back up for my Minnesota hunting season. Yeah. Smoke. And I think part of that was because in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm not, I kept telling myself, I'm not wounding another deer for the rest of the season. Like, hopefully for years, it'll be years before I wound another one. And if I do, hopefully it's something crazy where, I hit a lamb or it bounces off of a lamb or it ducks or does something crazy that like I can't control. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. It, that is, you can't control when the deer comes in, where it comes in. If it's courting away, courting towards walking away, walking towards, you can't control the rain, the wind, the weather can't control any of that stuff. You can control the gear that you bring in the woods, your tree stand, your backpack, your bow, your arrows, and you can control yep. your process. And that is your shooting process. And those are two of the only things you can control in the white tail woods. Everything else yep. is up to God. Yep, it is. 100%. <laughs> right? uh, all right. Well, with that, DJ, I think this is a great spot to, to wrap it up. Um, been on for an hour 15 or so, hour 10. Um, Anything else you want to, uh, anything else you want to throw at people for kind of summer prep work or shooting work, anything that you thought was really, um, beneficial or you find have found beneficial over the years of like shooting bow fest or anything like that? Um, I honestly, I would always like, just always tell folks, you know, number one, have a boat that you feel like you're comfortable with. If you're going to tweak and try to tune and do all that stuff, make sure you get it done during the off season. Don't be waiting until the middle of hunting season to kind of do that stuff because then it's like, you know, if I only had a penny for every time somebody messaged me and said, well, I decided to add this onto my bow, you know, during hunting season and I shot at this and my shot was off by this. And it's like, well, I tell people, you should have done all this during the summer. You should have done all this during the off season. Yeah. Like unless you have something that, that literally breaks down or has broken down, it's still your responsibility to bring the best equipment that you have available to you and that you feel the most comfortable with out into the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I love spending my off season, you know, number one, gaining new permission two, tweaking and getting my bow and, and making sure my bow is, is going to be in the best way possible. Um, uh, these past few years, I've made sure I went to, to bow fest every single year just so that I can challenge myself as an archer because I don't have hundreds of targets like these folks do at bow fest that they can throw out. So I got the one block target and a Glendale that I'll probably buy probably here in a few weeks. But 
that's all I got. And I, I got to make sure that even if I don't have a lot, I'm going to use what I have. I'm going to get those mental reps. I'm going to make up scenarios in my head. I'm going to shoot from different angles, different distances and stuff like that as much as I can at home. And hopefully that translates to, you know, success out in the field. And um, I always like to tell people to stay safe. And, you know, um, if you have the opportunity to introduce somebody into your love for hunting, whether you hunt with rifle, black powder, you like Tim Wells, you use a blowgun, whatever it is you use for hunting and for fishing. You know, if you know somebody, you have somebody that you feel like you can spark their interest in hunting or fishing or maybe not you spark their interest because they've already been interested and they've been afraid to ask you or they've been afraid to make that venture out. Be that person that's like, hey, you want to come fishing with me? Hey, do you want to come hunting with me? Do you want to come mm -hmm. help me, you know, Velvet Scout? You want to come hang trail cameras with me? You know, do you want to go hit this lake up, hit that lake up, you know, go hiking? Just getting as many people as we can into the outdoors, I feel like right now is just a very, very, very crucial time. Um, I know for 2022, I want to be a little bit more active politically as far as hunters and for hunters' rights, because I feel like that's something that I have a platform, I have a voice, I have a lot of con connections up in Duluth and stuff like that. So I need to use those connections and start fighting the good fight and um, helping other hunters across the United States, you know, yeah. continue to protect, you know, our love for hunting and fishing in our hunting lands on both public and private and fishing both mm -hmm. public and private as well. Cause that's, that's really what we need to do. seems like every week now on my feed, I'm watching some, some state implement a new rule either out West or in the Midwest. It's like, it's not helping, but it's hurting hunters. I'm seeing more and more species, you know, have limited draws and stuff like that. And more and more predators are, are moving in in different areas and herds are being affected from doesn't matter if it's the deer or if it's the mule deer or if it's the elk like a lot of things are happening right now to our environments and um i feel like as hunters like and those who love those things we have to step up more and we got to do a better job and do a better job of protecting our other hunters and stop you know bashing and putting down other people who hunt fish because they may not have shot something as big as you or may not have caught a fish as big as you but you know you got to understand that as long as you're doing everything legally, you're doing everything ethically, like, you know, you should be supporting of them. Even if you don't like them, you may not even, you know, know who they are or you may even hate them. Respect the fact that they hunt and fish. They're helping our resources just like you. Move on. Right. Yeah, man, I I, I want to jump back to um, 100% need to need to get your bow work done in June or July. If you take your stuff into a bow shop in August and ask for a tune or ask to get helped out, it's going to take weeks instead of days. So get your stuff done in June and July. Bar none. And, and bow shops will love you for it and they will treat you better. You will get better service because when you're in there in August and they have 150 bows to shoot through over the next, you know, four weeks versus you go in in June and they have 30, they're going to spend more time with you. They're going to work more with you. They have more time. They're not as stressed. They're going to tink and uh, tweak and tinker a little bit more with you for you. And, and it's going to be a better experience overall. Get in in June and July. Secondly, 100% got to put, I, I agree, got to put more money, time and effort into um, conservation groups, whether that's like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, 
uh, National Wild Turkey Foundation, Whitetails Unlimited, whatever it is, like those nat or National Deer Alliance now, I think is what it's called, um, Trout Unlimited, you know, Ducks Unlimited, all those companies, like, yeah, you, you got to put in, you don't have to support them all and work with them all, but you got to throw some money and some time at one of them because they're all helping you out. There is, there's this weird thing that's occurring where like, the bar, if you picture a, like a graph, a, a rise and fall of hunting rights, at some point, somewhere between five and 15 years ago, we were at the peak of hunting rights. Like yeah. we had the most amount of hunting rights. And now it's just slowly starting to be chipped away at, right? Yeah. And, and you're seeing bans on mountain lions, bans on bears, bans on this, bans on that. And, and it doesn't, the problem isn't that like, even if and to your point, um, like bashing on other people or, or not supporting other people or like me personally, I don't like, I have mixed feelings about trapping. I'm not yes. a trapper, never been a trapper. I think yes. it's an odd feeling to be able to just like, especially when you drown an animal through trapping, like that's a pretty miserable death in my opinion. But at the same time, I understand it's a method of take and I'm going to advocate for trapping rights every time I can, because it's a part of our community. Yep. And I feel like people kind of pick and choose sides. And one of the, re I, I had some conflicts with, with one organization because they were like, Hey, we really want to focus on CWD and deer hunting, but we are not going to touch anything that have to do with wolves and wolf hunting. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the problem. You can't, you can't, you can't have, have everything for deer hunting and, and be full on for deer and work on CWD, but then flip around and go, well, wolf hunting is a little controversial. We want to stay out of that. You can't yeah. do that. You got to be all in for everybody because first it's wolves, then it's bears, then it's, yep. You know, then it's bucks over a certain age class because they're mature yep. and majestic and people want to see them, whatever the hell the emotional connection is to that. Or, and then, and you just go down the list, you know, and all of a sudden it's just eating away at the rights. You have to hold the line somewhere and push the line. Got to yep. hold it at what we currently have. How do we get more? How do we, how do we hold what we have and how do we get more? Because if you're not advancing, you're losing. Right. Yep. And then that's, that's generally my sentiment on the, on the whole hunting rights piece. So we have to, we have to push forward because PETA and um, uh, the Humane Society of North America yep. and all these organizations, they're after our rights, right? They're actively going against us and we're not yep. actively going against back, them. Back, yeah. Right. We're just being pushed back. And, and I feel like we need to, we need to continue to move that forward. So whatever you can do, like if it's time, if it's effort, if it's using a, a social platform, if it's talking to friends, I, I mean, even making the difference in five people talking to five people a year about joining an organization or, or about hunting rights, that makes a difference. I, I, my wife has friends, a lot of friends who have nothing to do with hunting. Yeah. But when they bring up bear hunting, I'm a huge advocate for it. And I tell them and I explain it to them in a way that makes sense and why we yeah. need to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, well, you don't even got to do that. All you got to tell them is uh, when you're 
pets start mysteriously walking away and you don't understand where they're going and you can sit at the back door and you can call CC all night long, but CC's in the in the middle of a little bear's belly because that's what he can get his hands on because, you know, we keep uh, – I could talk about that all day long too because, like, you know, it's 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 horrible up in Duluth. Like, it's so bad to the point in Duluth where um, – Last year, I had landlords that were asking me, you know, if I had bear tags because they got a couple of nuisance bears that have been running around. And I haven't seen any of them, me personally, but I believe them because, you know, sometimes I'd be getting down on the hunt, they're picking up a trash can. Bear just came and did this. Bear just came and did that. Or coyotes did this. Coyotes did that. So it's like, you know, um, there's some people that support us and they want to help us and, and make sure that we can manage our populations. And then it's like, you know, we got some of those folks that they don't want us to go out there and kill anything. Right. Or, or harvest anything. Yeah. And that's just, it's baffling to me. Like you can't, you can't have human population grow and animal population stay constant. Like, like we are, we are ultimately at conflict with non-humans. Like it's period. That, yep. like, that is, that is where we are and we need to do our best to use the research, the science, the, the, the wildlife biologists that say, here's where we're at. Here's what we need for healthy. And here's how we're going to do that in, yep. in a good way. That's financially responsible or financially, yeah, financially responsible for the, for the state. And that's by issuing yep. tags and not paying people to go do this, but yep. getting money from people to do this. Right. Yep. I, yeah. Anyway, like you said, go on and on and on, but uh, appreciate those insights. Yes. Do your tuning, get out, help an organization and don't bash other hunters, stick up for them. Obviously understand the context and what they're doing and things like that. And you don't, don't always have to stand up for them, but you don't always have to speak. You never have to speak out against them either. You know, that's the other big thing It's like, you don't have to put it out there against it. Um, It's just, I'm not telling you what to do, but man, I, I just hate seeing a guy who's got, you know, four, four giant whitetails on the wall in the background of his profile picture, sit there and bash bear hunting. Like, dude, you're, you're shooting yourself, all of us in the foot with this, you know, because all look bad, you know? Yeah. And it's not like, Oh, they'll never come for whitetails until they do. Yep. Until they do. And now you have a problem, right? Well, man, you reap what you sow, bro. So anyway, all right. Thank you, DJ. Really appreciate it. If people want to find you, what's the best way to do it? Well, you can put your ear to the streets. Um, you can use Morse code, messenger <laughs> pigeon. I accept all forms of payment, um, except no payment or non-payment. I don't accept those two. But uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at djonesoutdoors and YouTube on uh, at djonesoutdoors. So that's me. Perfect. All right. I will throw that in the show notes. Thank you everyone for listening. Really appreciate it. Again, go check out Onyx map vector custom arrows. Um, if you're interested in either of those and please, if you would subscribe to the podcast, like thumbs up, leave a review, tell your friends about it. Really appreciated it. And, uh, thank you everyone for your time. Catch you next one.